Welcome to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast, featuring sermons given at our church and community center located in the Lincoln Estates neighborhood in Gainesville, Florida. If you find these messages beneficial, if you're part of our community, or if you want to help support the services we're providing to Southeast Gainesville, you can text the word GIVE to 352-562-7771 to make tax-deductible donations. Here's this week's message. Okay. Can you hear me? I can. Yes, I can hear you well. Okay. All right. I'm going to text Jared and Rachel and tell them to go ahead. Um, and maybe we'll do worship at the end. But for now, let's just move on. Um, I guess I should do some announcements. Uh, get it. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm frowsed in my brain. Let's read scripture today. <laughs> And, and let's move forward. I don't know what's going on. Um, uh, hey, everybody. How's it it's going? okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. All right. Um, so, uh, I can't text and drive. I can't even text and talk at the same time. So we're in this post-resurrection, post-Easter series where we're thinking about the things Jesus said and did uh, between the resurrection and the ascension. And a couple weeks ago, boy, my hair is weird with these headphones on. A couple weeks ago, it's worse now. There. A few weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, Karen Fields, Dr. Karen Fields joined us. And we talked about how Jesus came and said, peace to you, to everyone. Uh, every time he showed up. And then last week, Jacob joined me, and we talked about how Jesus spent a lot of time after the resurrection eating and drinking and and serving people and showing hospitality. Um, The next thing we're going to talk about today is this thing that Jesus also did after the resurrection, where he repeatedly, and we're told in more than one gospel account, uh, that he he unpacked scripture for for his followers after the resurrection, before the ascension, He takes time to explain to them uh, what Scripture meant. Of course, Scripture for them would have been the Hebrew Bible. Uh, None of the New Testament had been written as of yet. Um, And the the accounts that we have are some of the last things written in the New Testament. Paul's letters obviously come first. Um, But even all these years later, you know, we're talking maybe 50, 60 years later in some cases, um, these conversations still stuck with the uh, the followers of Jesus. This time that he spent unpacking what the Hebrew scriptures meant and what they said about him. So I want to read this story out of Luke 24, and then Brent and I are going to talk about it. It's extremely important. Obviously, if Jesus took time to do this in the limited amount of time he had between the resurrection and the ascension, it's something we should pay attention to. I also just really love this story. And behold, on the same day, this is Resurrection Day, behold, on the same day, two of them were making their way toward a village named Emmaus, sixty furlongs away, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had occurred. And it happened that during their talk and discussion, Jesus himself came up and went along with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this you are talking about, tossing it back and forth as you go? And they stopped frowning. And they stopped frowning. They didn't stop frowning. They stopped walking and started frowning. 
And one, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know what happened in it during these days? He said, What things? They said, The story of Jesus of Nazareth, who was a powerful prophet in act and word before God and all the people, and how our high priests and those who rule over us gave him over to the judgment of death and crucified him. We had been hoping that he was the one who was going to liberate Israel. But with all that, this is now the third day since these things happened to him. But also some women of our group astonished us. They went at dawn to the tomb and did not find his body, and came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels. Condescension in their voice is not mine. Who say that he is alive. And some of those who were with us went back to the tomb and found it as the women had said, but did not see him. And he said to them, Oh, and Jesus, who they can't recognize, says to them, O oh, mindless and slow in the heart to believe all the, that the prophets have told you. Did not the Christ have to suffer this and enter into his glory? And beginning from Moses and through the prophets, he expounded to them all that was in the scriptures concerning himself. And they approached the village they were making for, and he pretended to be going on farther. And they pressed him, saying, Stay with us, because it is nearly night, and the sun is already set. And he went in to stay with them. And it happened that as he took his place to eat with them, he took a loaf of bread and blessed it and broke it and gave some to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he himself vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Were our hearts not burning when he talked with us on the road, when he unfolded the scriptures to us? And they rose up in the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and their companions assembled, and saying that truly the Lord had awakened and had been seen by Simon. So that's our story for today. And I want to take some time uh, with Brent, our linguistic scholar, what it means for Jesus to unpack Scripture to his disciples. What do you think when you hear that story, Brent? Um, yeah, it makes me think about, um, you know, all the times where Jesus talks about himself and um, talks to his disciples previous to his death and resurrection. Um, and they just seem to still get it. Right. Or they get like sort of part of it, but not really. Um, and it's only after it seems like it's only after Jesus's resurrection um, that they sort of have this ability to get it. Now he comes back and, and can sort of explain it all in a detail that he hasn't done before because of what has happened, right? Because of his death and because of his, of his resurrection, right? Now it's sort of possible for them to get it, whereas maybe it, maybe it wasn't before. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, in one sense, like, you know, these guys are several hundred years removed from the writing of, of what is our Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Uh, they would have heard it in synagogue, it seems that there were some synagogues active even in this time, even though it's a little early for the widespread synagogue movement that happened after the temple was destroyed in AD 70. But, they, they, you know, Jesus goes into the synagogue in some cases and he reads from the scroll. So they would have heard, educated, um, so they would not have been taught to read or they would not have been doing it in that sort of in-depth study. 
But they knew the stories. They had heard the prophets quoted uh, by the priests and by the Pharisees and the Levites and such. Um, but it was sort of like us reading Shakespeare or hearing someone quote Shakespeare. And he posted a video on Facebook a while back, Brent, of some guy reading like Shakespeare, like without any explanation in the original middle or old English or whatever. He would say. Yeah. It was middle, English, yeah. middle English. And it's really hard to understand. You can get like maybe two out of every five or six words. And mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're watching actors on the stage, you can kind of intuit a lot of it from, if they're good Shakespearean actors, from how they move their body and present it. But if you're just hearing the words, it's really tough. And the, the time removed from us and the linguistic removed to us is similar to these Aramaic-speaking Jews in the you know, first century of Christ's era, you know, reading or hearing read scriptures that were, you know, some cases only a couple hundred years older, but in some cases six mm-hmm. or seven hundred years older. So talk to us as a link, what, what, what is the problem there and how do we, how do we bridge that divide? Yeah, um, and that's just, you know, Shakespeare is actually not that different from what we speak today. That's only about 400 years. You can find, um, search up some YouTube videos of people reading Chaucer, which is even like 500 years before him. And they have, you know, people who have learned to pronounce Old English in that way. It's a totally different language. You can't even uh, understand what they're saying at all, right? And, you know, that's just because languages change. Languages change, um, just by their very nature, they're, I like to say they are an inherently unstable system. Um, so they're going to, and, and what makes them unstable is the fact that, that we are mortal and we die and we, children lear, are the next generation to learn the language and they don't learn exactly the way we speak. They make their own changes, their own innovations, they have their own influences. And so every generation changes uh, the language a little bit, right? And not just in terms of the structure of the language, but, you know, the cultural influence of the language, the contact kids have with people who speak other languages. Um, you see that a lot in the New Testament, right? Where thing, you've got this lots of Hebrew influence, even though a lot of it's written in Greek, right? And so um, you've got to kind of be familiar with both of those cultures and languages to really sort of get get what's going on, Right. Yeah. So language really, really complicates things, right? Um, yeah. And That's it's tied it. to culture as well, right? I mean, it's culturally, give us, is it a chicken egg relationship between culture and language? Um, yeah, a little bit, right? So uh, culture is going to influence the way we say things, especially metaphor, things like that, um, which you know, we use way more frequently than we think we do. Um, There's hardly a sentence we say where there's not some kind of metaphorical meaning in it. Um, And, uh, you know, maybe the most sort of fundamental thing uh, about language is that it's, it's not a precise vehicle for communication, right? So you want to, you have things that you want to express. You have things you want to communicate. You try, we do that through language and not just our words, but you can see me like using my hands and everything too, right? Facial expressions. So all that stuff goes together. 
So we try to communicate using language, but it's never precise. We always communicate more than we intend. We always communicate less than we intend. Anybody who's married knows this, right? Like you can be married for years and years and years and you still like misunderstand each other on a daily basis as hard as you might try, right? And that's just because language is, is, is imprecise. It's, uh, it's never, it's not, um, it's not a precise tool for uh, communicating our thoughts and intentions. We do the best we can. It's always like a more or less affair. Yeah, um, and the the one I would add to that. So we've got we've just got the language, the you know the way language changes and morphs over time. We've got the cultural mm-hmm. uh, separation. You know, these are first century Jews living under Roman occupation, and to understand some scriptures that were written still during the Davidic dynasty, or maybe pre or post the Babylonian captivity, which are different cultural, you know, milieus of their own. Um, and then for us, it's also, I'm always conscious of um, pre-existing theological bias. Like if you've been mm-hmm. in the church for more than a minute, you've heard sermons, Sunday school as a kid, you've taught these stories in some way. Uh, some translation was used, um, and, and most of our translations are theologically bent in one way or another. It's very rare to find just a literary translation that's not pushing even even slightly or intuitively, some theological perspective or another, which makes a lot of, uh, a lot of difference, uh, especially just this small mm-hmm. incremental way it sort of adds on. If you're reading from the ESV, you're getting a very Reformed theological outlook, and there's just the only thing you can do is just not read that translation if you don't want that outlook, because it's going to just seep into right. uh, everything. Um, so I think those are all complicating issues, uh, for what it means for us to, to approach Scripture and to read Scripture um, as, as the people of God. And, and I think it's important to consider this, and I really love that Jesus takes time with the disciples and leaves us this example, uh, because I want us to become people who are better readers of the Bible uh, personally and communally. And what really stirred my heart to, to have you join um, this teaching this morning was a, a long post you put on Facebook um, I think it was one day last week, about the way the scientific community goes about um, thinking through things um, versus, you know, how, well, what's the opposite of scientific? Superstitious, <laughs> right? Um, or something right. like that. Say, say something to us about, about what it means to be um, approaching um, thought and, and specifically scripture in a, in a scientific mindset. Sure. So, you know, what, what prompted me to write that post and, and kind of had me thinking about this is actually something I've been thinking about for uh, some months. But, you know, in this, we, we're, we're in this weird time right now where, uh, you know, we have this pandemic going on and a lot of us are looking to scientists um, to help provide answers, right? To fill the gaps in knowledge, things we don't understand about the disease and how it works and what's the way forward and how can we solve this and um, all of that. Um, But I think we're all, we're not all looking in the same direction. We're all not all looking at things in the same way. And what I was seeing and still I'm seeing um, are 
uh, people pointing to, you know, this particular doctor or that particular doctor who seems to have a um, viewpoint that's counter to um, the scientific community saying, see, look, I, I told you this is how, you know, maybe the pandemic's not so bad or this disease, we're all being sold a bill of goods. There are all these conspiracy theories out there now, probably, you've, you know, Bill Gates and the Illuminati and whatever. Um, so, but, but people um, referring to doctors, people with medical degrees who might um, share their views. Um, there's one, a really popular one going around over the past week, these two doctors from California in their blue scrubs um, who are saying really misleading things. Um, and uh, they're not epidemiologists, but they are doctors. And so people are saying, look, they're experts, they're doctors, right? Um, this is just kind of a way to illustrate. Uh, soon after that, the American Epidemiology Society actually came out with a statement against that video, right? right? Uh, saying, look, they're really misrepresenting things. They're not understanding things well. They're probably very fine doctors, but their viewpoint is not, is not valid. So what you have there is like a couple of individuals saying something and then a whole community of scientists. I don't know how many people are in the American Epidemiology Society, but I assume there are probably a couple hundred at least. Um, and that's the difference, right? There's a community here who have all like done the work, done the research. They've been involved in this for a long, long time. They really know what they're talking about because they have this community, right? That um, is composed of individuals all doing their own thing, but they all come together. They submit their work to one another they judge one another's work. They uh, reach conclusions based on that communal conversation happening. Um, and then they come to the best uh, conclusions possible, right? And yes, we, think, we may not all agree on every point here, but we generally think this is the right picture. As opposed to a couple of individuals who are just kind of spouting some stuff off on their Facebook page, right? And I think that's the kind of difference you're talking about here. Like, um, real scientists submit themselves to that community, right? They submit themselves to that process, whatever the results might be, knowing that we're all going to learn a lot through that, right? Rather than just doing their own thing, saying their own thing, having their own opinions, right? And it seems like a lot of us have sort of lost the ability to judge between those groups, right? And we think, well, everybody has an opinion, everyone's opinion is valid, and there's no way to tell... Between, between who's right and who's wrong, Everything, especially once things get politicized. Right. But the scientific community has a way. It's not perfect. The scientific community are all human. They're all flawed people. But they've created this communal process and method by which they get closer and closer to things that are real and things that are true, right? Yeah, and... I would say the same is true of scripture if we take the time to do that. And it's one of the things that I feel really passionate and strongly about is over the last couple of hundred years, um, there's been a growing biblical scientific community, like scholars who have devoted their lives to the study of scripture. Um, and, and, and that entails a variety of things. Some of them have focused on languages like becoming experts in, in ancient Hebrew and the way Hebrew morphed like we were talking about. Some have become experts in Greek, um, New Testament Greek versus classic Greek or modern Greek. 
Um, some have been, become experts in how uh, the, the books were edited and put together. And I'll talk more a little bit about this next week when we read Mary's story. Like, you know, John, we don't know who wrote John. The beloved disciple wrote John. But the scene with Mary and Jesus alone at the tomb, well, whoever compiled that got that story from Mary because Mary's the only one on the scene. Mm -hmm. And so some people have devoted themselves to studying, okay, what does it look like to consider these authors as both writers and editors and Matthew and Luke using Mark? We've talked about some of that before. And there's just this whole wealth, this whole growing scholarly community that's been doing this work. And a lot of it has been initially driven and integrated with the study of archaeology because they've unearthed a lot of old texts. So it's, it's, it can be hard right. to, to understand this, but like the, the Hebrew and Greek that the translators use for the King James Bible are younger texts than what modern scholars are using to translate new translations. Because when King James was translated in 1611 is when it's finished, archaeology didn't exist. No one was digging up old sites and, and discovering things. Um, but since then, we've, we, that's a science that's developed. And as they've been digging up old sites, they're finding these you know, documents like the Dead Sea Scrolls they found in 1948. Um, and so modern scholars have access to far older texts that they don't have, you know, it's just sort of the copies of copies of copies and you get sort of, you know, little bits of changes here and there and just degradation over time. And there's some folks that s- spend their lives studying that like how has this copy? What is the the genealogy right. of this of this family of texts, and how you know this one copyist made a change, you know, six hundred years ago, and, and how has that change sort of filtered its way through down the line? Um, and then there are guys like me who just sort of dabble in all of it, <laughs> which is just I'm just kind of <laughs> like you know I know just enough to understand part of what those guys are saying and girls. Uh, there are right. a lot of women in these fields as well. Um, I use guys gender neutrally. See, this is how language morphs, right? Can I use guys in a gender neutral <laughs> way? I don't know. Um, I, I often do, and then sometimes I get get corrected. So, yeah. but, you can't, but you say guys and gal, gals doesn't work the same as guys. So, yeah, it's very. Yeah. It's very uh, I'm, I'm not Broadway enough to say guys and dolls. I can't do that. Um, no. <laughs> but there is a self-correcting, truth-seeking community of Bible readers in the scholarly realm. <laughs> But there's been a sharp divide between the scholars over here doing their scholar thing and the life of the church. The life of the church has been almost completely um, separated and cut off from the scholarly approach to Scripture. And I think it's to our harm and to our detriment. And so I see people reading Scripture and writing things about Scripture and preaching sermons about Scripture that are just, just horribly misinformed, kind of like these two doctors that you're talking about. Like, you know, I'm sure you're a fine doctor. I'm sure you love Jesus. I know you've prayed about that and read that, but that's just wrong. You can't. That's not a, that's not a good, grounded reading. And it's not, un, mm-hmm. it's not dissimilar from what these two guys are doing here. They knew Scripture. They had heard it. They had been taught it in synagogue. And yet they completely did not understand it at all. And Jesus has to come along right. and unpack it for them. Um, Mm-hmm. and unpack it for them in community. He doesn't unpack it for one and then another one separately. He does that. And so there's this process he goes through, and you can see it in the text. In verse 16, it says that their eyes were, were held closed, is the, is the literal translation in Greek. They were prevented from seeing who Jesus was. 
And then when they tell Jesus what has happened, they you refer to him only in the past tense. It's really interesting. You know, he was a prophet. He was a man. He was killed. We had hoped he was going to be, you know, the savior for Israel. All that's gone. It's all past tense. It's done. And then Jesus mm-hmm. calls them mindless. He's like, where are you brainless and slow of heart? <laughs> so it's literally mindless. Lack of mind. You right. don't. You, you, where is your sense? You know, you've already been told that I'm not in the tomb and you haven't believed. Your hearts are closed. Right. So your eyes are closed and your hearts are closed. And then he goes on. Mm-hmm. And then after, he, after, he, after they recognize him, then they say, while he was talking, our hearts were burning. And so you have eyes closed, heart closed, and then you have heart opening, and then you have eyes opening. And I think that's an instructive way to think about it, is that we need our hearts opened. We need, we need someone, we need a community of self-correcting truth seekers reading scripture together in this deep and scientific way who understand that Jesus is not a past tense historical event, but a present reality who sends us the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth uh, and to participate in this, in this process of growing and understanding together of growing as a community of Bible readers. And I think it's one of our primary tasks as a church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say, you know, um, Translation has all Christianity has never been afraid of translation, right? Right. So you can kind of you know someone might be hearing us talking about all the complicating things that complicate language and translation and change over time and all that, and go, well, how do I ever know if I'm reading a good translation? How do I ever know if I'm getting the real meaning from Scripture when I'm reading it? Um, I think um, I understand that first of all. But um, I think there's, uh, if we look at the Christian tradition, Christianity um, has never said, in order to be a Christian, you need to learn Greek and you need to learn Hebrew. Otherwise, you're not really reading the Bible, right? Um, That makes it very different from the Islamic tradition. If you convert to Islam, you have to learn classical Arabic to read the Quran. Like, if you're reading a translation of the Quran, they say that's not really the Quran, right? right? Because they believe that there is... Uh, something in the language itself, right? But Christianity has never really done that. We've, we've, we've been a community of translators from the very beginning. We've, and I think that comes from a, a faith in the idea that the word of God trans, transcends um, language, right? And our faith in the fact that the word of God is not a book, it's a person, right? Right. And so we believe that, that when we engage in scripture, Jesus really is there, as the word of God um, with us becomes present to us, despite all the failings of language that are possible, right? Yes. Now that doesn't mean the translation doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that the language doesn't matter. We still want to be doing the best we can to translate things well, to um, you know have good exegesis, all of that stuff, right? We need the biblical scholars. We need the theologians. Um, but the faith has always been that, like, despite whatever our failings are, Jesus can be present to us in Scripture, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the key is, is that we understand that Jesus is the Word of God, capital W, capital G. Uh, mm. and, and we've learned that from Scripture, John 1, 1 tells us. 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is the Word of God, and Scripture is the, is the testament to Jesus. And so Scripture becomes the capital W Word of God as Jesus right, unpacks right. it for us, as the Holy Spirit leads us into truth. And is what we're seeing in this text is that is a work that Jesus does post-resurrection, thankfully. It's a work that he promises that the Spirit will do in John. And it's a work that he always only does in community, not just in private. That doesn't mean you don't do personal Bible reading. But it does mean that like your interpretation, your translation even, of Scripture is something you present to the community. And then the community, which is a self-correcting, truth-seeking community, evaluates that and says, well, yeah or no or maybe. And we've seen this you know, hundreds of times, right? If you've been in a small group and done a Bible study, uh, you do an inductive Bible study, and you read a passage, and you sit around, and you kick it around. And some of what comes out is really good. Um, I, I've learned so much uh, from... Induct there, there are pieces of inductive Bible study from Vineyard Home Groups in my PhD dissertation uh, that I had to like dress up in formal language, but that I actually learned from like a plumber who was sitting across from me who just like had you know, a moment of spirit-infused epiphany. I'm like, that's exactly right. You're reading that so well. Um, and then there mm. are other times you hear somebody says something, you're like, yeah, I, no, I don't, I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what it means. I don't, I'm not getting that. And, right. and so you kind of, you, we submit to each other in humility. We all submit to Jesus in the Spirit in humility. And together we collectively self-correct and we seek truth. Uh, and that's, that's defend, that's the finding of the community that we are and that we hope to be. Um, and, and I think that's, I think that's at, our, at our best, that's what we already practice. And I think the message for us today is to encourage ourselves and to encourage each other to press into that. There were, we're not people yeah. who just flip open the book and close our eyes and point to a page and then like whatever it says, then we just do with whatever we think it means mm -hmm. when we first look at it. But that we can dig as deep as we as we can into scholarship, into biblical scholarship, into a variety of translations, and that there's no, there's not yeah. only no fear of that, but that we can find Jesus and the Spirit attending us in those moments. And so, what I usually tell people: if you don't know Hebrew or Greek, or even if you do a little bit, um, just get a variety of translations. Uh, right now, I'm reading Robert Alter's uh, Hebrew Bible translation. He's a Jewish uh, literary scholar, and it's it's beautiful. And I've read. Everett Fox is before, and it's also beautiful. Um, and it, and it kind of helps me remember that these are Hebrew scriptures. <laughs> and, that, you know, I'm not Jewish, and I've never been to synagogue. And I don't, I, you know, there's, there, there are limits to my understanding on this. Um, and that's a helpful <laughs> reminder. Um, but a variety of translations is a good way to, to help us overcome the translation barrier. But then there's still the interpretation barrier, which is something we do um, in community, if we're doing it well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love that, uh, you know, in the story that we're reading today on the road to Emmaus, um, that, you know, so I, I imagine, you know, so at the end, they invite Jesus to stay with them for the evening and have dinner because um, it seemed like maybe he wasn't going to do that. Uh, and so I imagine, like, what if they hadn't done that, right? So what if they hadn't sat down and eaten together? Those two guys might have sat down just alone and just talked and been like, so what do you think about what that guy was saying? 
and probably could have talked themselves out of it completely, right? Yes. They yes. probably, because they were kind of in agreement together, right? So they, they probably could have just decided he was some nutcase they had met on the road and just kind of gone on. But Jesus sits down with them, breaks bread with them, and then that's the moment when they really see him, right? Yeah. That moment of breaking bread together, that moment of communion together is when their eyes get open and they're like, oh, yeah, of course everything he's saying is true. This is him, right? Um, so uh, that just to me like tells, tells me this story is really all about that community aspect, right? Have, not only having someone who knows what they're talking about explain it to us, but being in some semblance of community together um, and where possible breaking bread together. Right? Yep. Yeah. I, um, it was so interesting. You and I talked about this the other day, preparing for this, and you made that point uh, and I wrote it down and then I was reading uh, Carl Bart on this and, and Bart makes the point specifically that it's like he rebuked them. He called them mindless and slow of heart and that didn't break their inability to see. Right, 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 right. They later say their hearts are burning but their burning hearts weren't enough to open their eyes either. So they, they persisted in their, in their closed, closed-eyedness, or however you want to say that, um, through both his rebuke and through his, you know, his unpacking of Scripture. It was only in that moment of communion that the, he finally gets through to them. Um, so I, right. I thought, yeah, it's really interesting how long we can hold on to our, mm-hmm. our our refusal to see the truth that's in front of us. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, good job by you. So, um, yeah. Do you have your communion elements, Andy? I don't. It's out there with the with the family. I could go, grab it real quick. Go grab it. Let's take communion together. I'm sorry we didn't have music this morning. I don't know what happened. I, I truly don't know... Um, why? I also don't know why my hair has to stick up, but there it is. All right, I've got it. All right. I have, I have a, a quarter of a waffle. I've got... I'm going to hold it like, like Eucharist. Like I've, got, I've got life cereal. Um, gluten-free life cereal. So I'm eating a small bit because I find chewing on live camera um, makes me nervous. So... What shall we say? I know what to say with the cup, but what shall we say with the bread? What are we saying with the cup? We're saying with the cup to being a self-correcting, truth-seeking community. Because hmm. that was a phrase that you, you gave us uh, in our conversation the other day that really stuck with me. Like that's become now like a goal. Yeah. Like that's, that, mm-hmm. that, I, that is, that is going to be part of our, our bar. Like we need to be. Uh, it needs to be said of, of Gainesville Vineyard, man, that is a self-correcting, truth-seeking community. So <laughs> I'm going to put that on the um, wall somewhere. Yeah, I would just say, you know, to being honest with ourselves and each other. Yeah. So if you got your bread or your cereal or your waffle or what have you, grab a hold of it. This is Jesus, His body, the Word of God. And it's also us ingesting it and committing ourselves to telling each other the truth, to being honest with ourselves and each other, and not being afraid of wherever the truth leads us, because the truth always leads us to Jesus, because Jesus is the truth. 
So, take the bread together. What are you drinking? Just coffee. I have Irish breakfast tea. It's really nice. good. Um, so yeah, I as I said, I, I really feel strongly that this is the word for us, um, is to commit fully, uh, even more fully than we have heretofore, to being a self-correcting, truth-seeking community. Uh, that we're not afraid of science, we're not afraid of biblical scholarship, we're not afraid of digging as deeply as possible into theological matters. Um, there's nothing to fear there. Um, and, and I think it's a timely word for us in the light of coronavirus, because we're going to make our decisions uh, based on what the scientific community tells us. Um, I know there's a lot of back and forth, and political leaders are saying a variety of things, and some of them make sense and some of them don't. Um, but we decided to keep doing live streaming services through May because that seemed to be the safest route for our people. Because we love you dearly, all of you. Especially you, Stu Handy. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Stu. We want to keep Stu. you guys safe. So here is the blood of Christ, the cup we share together. Drink this to being a self-correcting, truth-seeking community. Amen? Amen. All right. No one has texted me any words this morning. So you got about one minute if you're sensing anything from the Spirit that we might want to pray for. Um, but Brent, do you just want to pray for us for a moment? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for this conversation this morning. I thank you for your presence in it and your presence in the households and cars and workplaces and everywhere that I know everybody's tuning in from um, this morning, Lord, that even when we're apart, we are still a community together um, through you, Lord. Mm. And I thank you, Lord, that when you say you haven't given us a, a spirit of fear, um, that you really mean that. Uh, and the opposite of fear is, in many cases, honesty. It's just being honest about things. And so, Lord, I just we just continue to pray against that spirit of fear that seems to be driving a lot of things, um, both fear of the virus and fear of economic hardships and fear of what happens if we do this or don't do that or whatever. Um, Lord, give us um, peace. Give us your peace that uh, surpasses all of those things. Lord, I thank you for our community. Thank you for everyone in it. I thank you for the way this community is caring for one another, even in this really difficult time. Um, and I pray that you would give us the uh, strength and courage to continue to do that for as long as we need to. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Brent. Thanks for sharing with us. Um, yeah, you bet. All right. I will talk to you soon. Okay. okay.
Before I let you go, I do have a couple of announcements I need to make um, if I can get them to work. Hey, they're working. All right, as I mentioned a minute ago, we will be live streaming through the month of May. <laughs> I'm doubting uh, the technology, not our decision. So, um, but we will not meet in person during the month of May while we wait for um, the effects of the COVID-19 to subside. And I hope that you will stay safe, stay home as much as possible, uh, wear masks, wash your hands, be safe. Don't be risky. Um, I know it's hard for us. I know it's really difficult. But uh, I want to see you all again at, the, at a safe and healthy time. So we'll get together as soon as we're able to, as soon as we can do it safely. But until then, uh, we will see you on here. And we'll sort out whatever these issues were before next week. Um, in the meantime, we do have stay home groups that are meeting on Zoom weekly. Uh, you can check your email about that. We've also started uh, a private Facebook group for folks who call Gainesville Vineyard their home church. Um, you may be watching it there. You may not be. If you're not on there, let me know and I can add you. If you call our church your home, uh, you can find more info about the stay home groups on that uh, venue as well. So we want to try to keep connected to each other as much as possible through the week during this. So um, check out one of those Zoom groups. They've been really life-giving. I've heard really positive feedback from everyone. Uh, last thing, there are two ways you can give. Uh, if giving to our church is a regular part of what you do or what you feel led to do, you can text the word GIVE to 352-562-7771 or you can go to our website, which maybe you're at right now, and click on the button that says GIVE in the upper right-hand corner and you can give that way. You can also mail checks to our P.O. Box P.O. Box 358117, Gainesville, Florida 32635 is where you can send uh, checks in the mail. So any which way you do that is fine. I really appreciate your faithfulness in giving to our church. Um, we still have all the things going on that we can get going on and more stuff we're still planning for once this is all over and we're back to in person. I love each and every one of you. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And again, I apologize for the technical difficulties. We'll hopefully get those sorted out. Um, but I, I hope that something that Brent and I shared this morning is helpful for you. Um, I hope that you approach Scripture reading uh, diligently and humbly and critically, and that you would spend as much time trying to understand what it says as you would trying to understand what Shakespeare or Faulkner is saying. And you would employ all the tools that are at our disposal. And if you have questions about that, if you want help with that, then send me an email or a text message and we can talk about it more. Anyway, I love you guys and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast. For more information about our church and community center, including our food pantry, life skills training, legal aid, after school and sports programs, and international missions, and how to contact us, visit GainesvilleVineyard.org or find us on Facebook. Our page name is GN Vineyard. We also have original worship songs available on iTunes. Just search for Gainesville Vineyard. You can support the work we're doing by texting the word GIVE to 352-562-7771. All donations are tax deductible. 
We appreciate you listening to this message and pray the Spirit speaks directly to you through something you've heard today. God bless.